Section 16 of On the Nature of Things. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lenny. On the Nature of Things by Lucretius. Translated by John Selby Watson. Section 16. Book 6. Part 1. In early days, Athens, of illustrious name, first communicated to suffering mortals the method of producing corn. Athens, also, first improved life and established laws. Athens, moreover, first afforded sweet consolations of existence when she gave birth to that preeminent man, endowed with such mighty genius, who once poured forth instruction on all subjects from his truth-speaking mouth, and whose fame, spread abroad of old on account of his discoveries, is raised since his death even to the skies. For when he observed that almost all things which necessity requires for subsistence, and by which mankind may render life free from care, are always prepared for them by nature, yet saw that men may abound in wealth, may be crowned with honour and applause, and may have pride in the good fame of their children, but that, notwithstanding, there may be griefs in the heart of each at home, and each may this quiet life with unhappy querulousness of mind, he understood, at once, the cause which compels them to lament with such troublesome complaints. He perceived that the vessel itself was in fault, and that all good things which were collected and brought into it from abroad were spoiled by its imperfection within. He was convinced of this, partly because he saw that it was unsound and perforated, so that it could never by any means be filled, and partly because he found that it contaminated with an offensive taste, as it were, all things that it had received within it. He therefore purged the minds of men with the words of truth, and set bounds to desire and fear. He explained what is the chief good at which we all aim, and show the way, in a narrow track, by which we may, in a straight course, arrive at it. And he taught what evil prevails everywhere in human affairs, which flows and arises variously, either from casual accident or from necessity, according as nature has appointed and he showed from what portals each ought to be met, and proved that mankind revolve in their breasts, for the most part unnecessarily, the sorrowful tumults of care. For, as children tremble and fear everything in thick darkness, so we, in delight, fear sometimes things which are not more to be feared than those which children dread, and imagine about to happen in the dark. This terror of the mind, therefore, it is not the rays of the sun or the bright arrows of day that must dispel, but the contemplation of nature and the exercise of reason, for which cause I shall more carefully proceed to complete, with some further observations, the undertaking which I have in hand. And since I have shown that the regions of the world are mortal, and that the heaven consists of substance generated and perishable, and that whatever things are produced, and must necessarily be produced, within it, 
are for the most part necessarily dissolved, attend now to what further remains to be said, since his friends once more exhort the charioteer to ascend his stately chariot, testifying by their applause that all things which before were adverse to his course are now altered through their gentle favor. But the phenomena which men observe to occur in the earth and the heavens, when, as often happens, they are perplexed with fearful thoughts, overawe their minds with a dread of the gods, and humble and depress them to the earth, for ignorance of natural causes obliges them to refer all things to the power of the divinities, and to resign the dominion of the world to them. Because of these effects, they can by no means see the origin, and accordingly suppose that they are produced by divine influence. For if those who have fairly understood that the gods pass a life free from care, nevertheless wonder, meanwhile, how things can severally be carried on, especially in those matters which are seen in the ethereal regions above our heads. They are carried back again to their old notions of religion, and set over themselves cruel tyrants, whom they unhappily believe able to do all things, being themselves ignorant what can and what cannot be done, and by what means limited power and a deeply fixed boundary is assigned to everything. On which account, through their own blind reasoning, they are led away more and more into error. Such fancies, unless you expel from your mind and put far from you unworthy thoughts of the gods, and seize the harbour notions, inconsistent with their tranquillity, the sacred power of the divinities will often, as being offended by you, obstruct your peace. Not that the supreme majesty of the deities can really be violated, so that it should seek through anger to inflict severe punishment, but because you yourself, when you might be calm in tranquil peace, will suppose that the gods cherish vast floods of wrath against you, nor will you approach the temples of the deities with a heart at ease, nor be able to admit into your mind, with placid serenity of contemplation, those images which are born from the sacred persons of the gods, as indications of their divine beauty into the breasts of mankind. Hence you may conceive what sort of life would follow such a belief. And although many observations have been made by me, to the end that true wisdom may repel such a life far from us, many more still remain to be added, and to be recommended by smooth verse, and the nature of things above us and of the heaven is to be understood. Tempests and bright lightnings are to be sung, their nature is to be told, and from what cause they pursue their course, lest, having foolishly divided the heaven into parts, you should be anxious as to the quarter from which the flying flame may come, or to what region it may betake itself, and tremble to think how it penetrates through walled enclosures, and how, having exercised its power, it extricates itself from them. Of which phenomena the multitude can by no means see the causes, and think that they are accomplished by supernatural power. Thou, O skilful muse Calliope, solace of men, and pleasure of the gods, 
mark out my path for me, as I run to the white goal at the end of the course, that, under thy guidance, I may attain a crown with distinguished applause. In the first place, the blue skies are convulsed with thunder, because the clouds in the air, as they fly along on high, when winds are opposite to each other, meet together in collision. For in a clear part of the sky no noise takes place, but the more densely the clouds are collected, in any quarter whatsoever, with so much louder a noise does the thunder frequently proceed from that quarter. The clouds, too, it is to be observed, can neither be of so dense a substance as stones and wood are, nor again of so subtle a consistence as flying mists and smoke are. For, in the one case, they would either fall, being brought down by their own dead weight, or, in the other, they would, like smoke, be unable to keep together, or to retain within them the cold snows and showers of hail. Clouds also produce a sound, by certain motions, athwart the regions of the open sky, as canvas, stretched over the large theatres, makes a noise when it is tossed about among the posts and beams. Sometimes a cloud is ruffled and torn in pieces by boisterous winds, and then imitates the rattling noise of paper, for that kind of crackling you may also observe in thunder or it sounds as when the winds shake with their blasts a hanging garment, or flying sheets of parchment, and rattle them in the air. It sometimes happens, moreover, that clouds cannot so much come into collision front to front, as meet side to side, rubbing their masses slowly against one another with various movements, whence that dry kind of sound, which you may sometimes observe, strikes upon the ear, and which is protracted for some time, until the clouds have escaped from the confined space. Thus, too, not unfrequently, all things around, convulsed with violent thunder, seem to tremble, and the mighty walls of the capacious world appear at once to have started and burst asunder. And this happens when a collected body of strong wind has suddenly involved itself within a cloud, and being shut up there, forces the cloud, as the whirling air stretches it more and more in all directions, to become hollow, but with a thick crust round the cavity. Afterwards, when the strong force and spirit of the wind within has fermented, it, at length, being emitted from confinement, gives a crack with a frightfully crashing sound. Nor is this surprising when a small bladder filled with air often produces, if suddenly burst, a loud sound of a similar kind. There is also another reason why the winds, when they blow among the clouds, may produce a sound, for we often see branched and rough clouds carried about in the air in various directions, so that such a noise may arise in the clouds as when the northwest gales blow through a thick wood and the leaves make a rustling and the boughs crackle. It happens, likewise, at times, that the vehement force of a strong blast tears a cloud asunder, cleaving it through with a straightforward assault. For what the wind may effect in the sky, manifest experience demonstrates on the earth, where, though it is less violent, 
it often overthrows and tears up lofty woods from their lowest roots. There are also waves in the clouds, which, breaking heavily, make a murmuring noise, such as is likewise excited in deep rivers and in the vast sea when it is broken and rages with the tide. It occurs, moreover, that when the burning violence of lightning passes from one cloud into another, the second cloud, if it receives the fire into a large body of moisture, immediately extinguishes it with a loud noise, as hot iron, taken from a glowing furnace, hisses when we plunge it into the cold water standing near. Further, if a cloud, which is more dry than ordinary, receives the lightning, it is at once set on fire, and scorched up with a loud sound, such as is heard if a flame, on any occasion, spreads over hills covered with laurel, burning it up with great fury, and impelled by a storm of wind. Nor does any substance burn with a more startling sound, as the flame crackles among its boughs, than the Delphic laurel of Phoebus. In addition, we may observe that a great crashing of ice and fall of hail among the vast clouds in the sky, frequently produce a loud sound, for masses of cloud, closely condensed and mixed with hail, are, when the wind compresses them, shattered and broken to pieces. It lightens also when the clouds, by their collision, have struck out numerous atoms of fire, just as if a stone strikes another stone, or a piece of iron, for then, in like manner, a light bursts forth and scatters abroad bright sparks of fire. But it always happens that we hear the sound of the thunder some time after we perceive it lighten, because objects which affect the hearing always come more slowly to the ears than those which affect the sight arrive at the eye. This you may easily understand from the following instance. If you observe a man at a distance cutting down the trunk of a tree with an axe, you will see the stroke itself, before the noise of the stroke makes any sound in the air. So, too, we see the lightning before we hear the thunder, which, however, is emitted at the same time with the flash, and produced from the same collision of the clouds. Clouds, likewise, sometimes tinge the parts around with swiftly diffused light, and the storm gleams with tremulous ardor from the following cause. When wind has penetrated a cloud, and, rolling about within it, has made the cloud, as I showed above, become hollow in the middle, and condensed round about, it acquires heat by its own activity, as you see all bodies glow when made warm by motion. And the ball of lead, from being whirled through a long space, even melts, this hot wind, accordingly, when it has burst a dark cloud, suddenly scatters atoms of heat, which are, as it were, driven out by its violence, and which cause the vibrating gleams of the lightning. Then follows the noise, which affects the ear more slowly than the beams which come to our eyes strike them. This, you will understand, takes place when the clouds are condensed, and when they are piled at the same time high above one another, with extraordinary effect. And do not be misled by the circumstance that we from below see more plainly how broad the clouds are than how high they are built up. 
for observe their appearance when the winds will carry these clouds resembling great mountains along through the air or when you shall see on the sides of high hills some clouds piled upon others and those placed in the upper region while the winds are buried in repose pressing down those in the lower and you will then be able to comprehend their vastness of bulk and observe the caverns within them which are formed as it were of hanging rocks and when the winds at the rising of a tempest have filled them the winds themselves being thus confined within the clouds complain with a loud murmuring and utter threats like wild beasts in dens sometimes they send their roarings in one direction and sometimes in another through the clouds and seeking an outlet turn themselves about and roll together atoms of fire from the cloudy masses and thus they collect many igneous particles and whirl about the flames within as in hollow furnaces until the cloud having burst they dart forth with a flash from this cause also it happens that that gleaming golden color of liquid fire flies down upon the earth inasmuch as the clouds themselves must of necessity contain many atoms of fire as when they are without any moisture their color is generally fiery and shining for they must receive many igneous particles from the light of the sun so that they naturally look red and send forth fire when therefore the wind driving them along has thrust compressed and condensed them into one place they pour forth the atoms of fire which are squeezed out and which cause the color of flame to shine through the sky it likewise lightens when the clouds in heaven are rarefied for when the wind gently divides and attenuates them as they pass those atoms which cause the lightning must fall even in spite of them and then it lightens without any great terror or sounds or commotion of what nature moreover the lightning consists its strokes and the signs and marks which are burned into objects by its fire and which exhale a strong scent of sulphur sufficiently indicate for these are tokens of fire and not of wind or rain besides lightning often set on fire the roofs of houses and revel with a swift flame throughout houses themselves for nature has formed this attenuated fire you may be sure of the most minute particles of flame and with the subtlest motions and atoms so that nothing whatever can resist it powerful lightning indeed passes through the walls of houses like sounds and voices it passes through stones and brass and melts brass and gold in a moment it causes wine also to flow out suddenly from vessels which still remain entire because as is evident its heat at its contact easily relaxes and expands all the earthen substance of the vessel so that penetrating into the liquid itself it actively separates and dispels the atoms of the wine agitating it with its flashing heat to a degree which the warmth of the sun seems unable to produce in an age so much more active and forcible is this influence of lightning how these lightnings are generated and become possessed of such force that they can split towers with a stroke overturn houses 
tear away beams and planks, demolish and scatter abroad the monuments of heroes, deprive men of life, destroy whole herds of cattle at once, and with what power they can effect all other things of this kind, I will now proceed to explain, nor will I delay you longer with promises. It must be admitted that lightnings are produced from clouds that are dense, and piled high in the air, for none are ever emitted from a clear sky, or from clouds that are but thinly collected. For doubtless manifest observation shows this to be the case, because at the time when thunder is heard, the clouds are condensed from all sides through the whole atmosphere, so that we might suppose all the darkness to have left Acheron, and to have filled the immense vault of heaven. So formidably, when the dire gloom of storms has collected, and when the tempest begins to forge its thunderbolts, does the face of black terror impend over the earth from above. Over the sea, too, very frequently, a black stormy cloud, like a flood of pitch flowing down from heaven, so terribly descends upon the waters, and rolls onward in such thick darkness, and draws with it a black tempest, so pregnant with thunder and hurricanes, being charged, too, to the utmost with fire and wind, that even men upon land shudder and seek shelter in their houses. Thus, therefore, we must believe that tempestuous clouds rise high above our heads, for neither could clouds overwhelm the earth with such thick darkness, the sun being wholly obscured, unless they were built up, numbers upon numbers, to a great height, nor could they, when descending in rain, deluge the earth with such vast showers as to make the rivers overflow, and the plains a sheet of water, unless the atmosphere contained clouds ranged high over one another. In the air, therefore, at the time of storms, all parts of the clouds are replete with wind and fire, and thus thunders and lightnings are produced for I have shown above that the hollow clouds must contain many atoms of heat, and they must also of necessity receive many from the rays and warmth of the sun. Thus, when the same wind which has collected the clouds by chance into any one place has elicited from them many atoms of heat, and with that heat has mingled itself, the vortex of wind compressed within the cloud whirls itself about in it, and sharpens the lightning, as in a hot furnace within its depths. For this wind is heated in two ways. It both grows warm by its own motion, and by the contact of fire. Then, when the substance of the wind has grown hot of itself, or the strong influence of fire has excited it, the lightning, being ripe as it were, bursts suddenly through the cloud, and the fiery gleam is roused and driven forth, illumining all places with vibrating light, close upon which follows the awful crash of thunder, so that the regions of heaven above seem suddenly to be disruptured and to totter. Tremor then violently pervades the earth, and murmurs run along the lofty skies, for almost all the stormy air then trembles with the shock, and loud noises are sent forth, after which concussion follows heavy and abundant rain, so that the whole sky seems to be turned into showers, and thus falling precipitately to excite the waters to a new deluge. 
so mighty a sound issues forth from the displosion of a cloud and from a tempest of wind when the lightning flies abroad with its burning impetus sometimes too the vehement force of the wind falls upon a dense cloud externally striking on its summit just ripe for explosion and when it has burst through it there flies out instantly the fiery vortex which we in our native language call lightning and this is not confined to one point only but extends to other parts wheresoever the force of the wind has diffused itself it happens at times also that a furious wind though issuing forth without fire yet ignites as it goes in a long space and protracted flight losing too in its course some of those larger atoms which cannot penetrate through the air equally with the smaller and collecting from the air itself as it flies through it some of those minute particles which when mixed generate fire almost in the same manner as a ball of lead very frequently grows hot in its course when throwing off many atoms of cold it conceives heat in the atmosphere it occurs moreover that the force of a mere stroke excites fire in a cloud when a cold blast of wind darting forth without any fire at all has struck upon it because as is evident when the wind has dashed against the cloud with a violent impetus atoms of heat may flow both from the wind itself and also from that cloudy substance which then receives its impact just as fire flies out when we strike a stone with iron nor because the substance of iron is cold do those particles of igneous brightness the less on that account flow together at the stroke thus any substance likewise must naturally be kindled by lightning if it be adapted and disposed to take fire nor can the substance of the wind be easily supposed to be altogether cold considering its rapid flight from the parts whence it was so forcibly discharged from above for though it be not kindled by heat in its descent before it arrives in these lower regions it yet comes to them tepid and mixed with warmth but the activity and impulse of the lightning are so great as you observe them to be and the thunderbolts in general fly with so swift a descent because the force of the wind when roused first collects itself fully within the clouds and makes a great struggle to issue forth then when the cloud can no longer restrain the increased violence of its efforts its fury bursts out and flies accordingly with wonderful impetus like darts which are hurled from powerful engines add to this that it consists of small and smooth particles nor is it easy for any body to withstand so subtle a substance for it winds and penetrates through the most minute passages it is not therefore checked or delayed by many obstacles and it accordingly flies and spreads with the most active swiftness consider further that all bodies universally tend downwards by nature and that when an impulse is added the swiftness is doubled and the force aggravated so that whatever obstacles oppose its power 
it but the sooner and the more vigorously scatters them with a stroke and pursues its own course besides that which comes to the earth with a long flight must acquire speed which continually increases by progression and augments its vehement impetus and gives force to its stroke for its velocity causes whatever atoms there are in the body to be borne forward as it were straight to one point combining them all as they roll on in that single direction perhaps the lightning too may in its passage through the sky attract to itself certain particles from the air which may increase the violence of its strokes and it passes through substances that remain uninjured and penetrates many objects that continue unaltered because the liquid fire finds a passage into them by the pores and many bodies it rends asunder when the atoms of the lightning strike against the atoms of their substances where they are held in close contexture it moreover easily dissolves brass and melts gold in a moment because its substance consists of infinitely small particles and of atoms that are smooth which easily penetrate bodies and when they have penetrated suddenly dissolve all connections and loosen all bonds the vault of heaven studded with glittering stars and the whole earth round about are shaken with thunder in autumn when the flowery season of spring displays itself more than at other times for in winter heat is deficient and in summer the winds fail and the clouds are not of so dense a consistence but when the seasons of the year are between the two all the various causes of thunder then concur for the intermediate portion of the year blends the cold and the heat both of which are necessary to produce thunder for us so that for the generation of it there may be a discord in things and that the atmosphere raging with heat and wind may be agitated with a vast tumult for the beginning of summer and the end of winter is the season of spring from which cause the two dissimilar natures heat and cold must at that time jar with one another and produce a commotion as they mingle and the termination of summer comes on meeting the commencement of winter at a time which is called the season of autumn and then too violent colds contend with violent heats these seasons may therefore be styled the war times of the year nor is it wonderful if at these conjunctures much thunder and lightning takes place and if tumultuous tempests are excited in the sky since there arises disturbance from doubtful strife on either hand heat contending on the one side and winds mingled with rain on the other this is the way to learn the true nature of igneous lightning and to understand by what power it produces every effect not to seek for indications of the hidden mind of the gods by turning over with futile research the verses of etruria superstitiously observing whence the fleeting fire has come or to which quarter it has turned itself how it has penetrated through walled apartments and how having exercised its power it has extricated itself from them or what injury the stroke of a bolt from heaven can inflict 
but if jupiter and the other gods shake the shining regions of heaven with terrific thunder and hurl the lightning whithersoever each has thought fit why do they not take special care that those who are guilty of reckless and detestable wickedness may being struck inhale the flames of lightning into their pierced breasts as a bitter warning to mortals and why rather is he who is conscious to himself of no one disgraceful act involved and overwhelmed innocent as he is with flames and carried off suddenly with a whirlwind and fire from heaven why also if the gods hurl thunderbolts at men do they ever seek solitary places and labor in vain or do they then exercise their arms and strengthen their elbows and why it may be asked do they suffer the weapon of father jupiter to be blunted against the earth or why does he himself suffer it and not save it for his enemies furthermore why does jupiter never hurl his bolts over the earth and scatter broad thunder from a clear sky does he wait till storms threaten and when the clouds have spread over the heaven come down into their vortex that he may hence sing the strokes of his weapon from a nearer point for what reason moreover does he hurl his bolts into the sea of what does he accuse the waves and the watery flood and the liquid plains besides if he wishes us to guard against the blow of the thunderbolt why does he hesitate to contrive means that we may see it when it's hurled but if he desires to overwhelm us with his lightning unawares why does he thunder in the quarter from which he aims so that we may avoid it why does he first excite darkness and noises and murmurings in the air and how can you believe that he hurls his bolts in various directions at the same time or would you venture to say it never occurs that many strokes take effect at the same time but it has often occurred and must often occur that as in a storm rains and showers fall on many places at once so many thunderstrokes are discharged on the earth at the same moment moreover why does he shatter the sacred temples of the other gods and his own stately abodes with his destructive lightning and why does he break in pieces the well-wrought statues of the divinities and rob his own images of honor by violent disfigurement and why does he generally aim at high places at which it is evident that he does aim inasmuch as we see most traces of his fire and see them more distinctly upon the loftiest mountains end of section sixteen